Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, when do we come before you not in need? Never. And so now we need you. Particularly today, we need you to open our ears and hearts to hear truths we may have ignored or evaded in the past. To help us hear as your words to us. To give us the grace to respond as we should. Always in faith and submission often in repentance and renewal. In Jesus' name, amen. The thoughts that do us the most damage and hurt in our Christian lives are usually thoughts under the surface, thoughts we don't put into words. Here's one such thought. The idea that warm, earnest devotion to Christ and service of Christ is for other Christians. That's for other Christians. It's not for me. It's not for Christians. It is for Christians who are not my age. It's for Christians who are not my income, Christians who are not my temperament, Christians who are not in my life situation. Or maybe it is for me, but it's for me when I was younger. Or it's for me when I'm older. Or it's for me when I'm in a different situation. At any rate, Christian service is not for me, not here, not now. That's a lie from Satan. That's a lie from Satan. And what do we do with lies from Satan? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. As we tear down speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Well, that's what we seek to do in every sermon from God's Word. That's what we're seeking to do in this two-part sermon of which we're in part two today. So let's get back to tearing down that lie together as we return to basic truths about God and life. Now, this is a two-part sermon. Today's part two. I've written you and urged you, if you missed part one, be sure to listen to it before you did this morning, before you come here this morning. If you haven't done that, I really encourage you again, make sure that you do find time. Uh, If you can get email, you can get a sermon. It's just right online on the sermon audio site, as easy as can be. So just in, by way of lightning fast review of what we looked at last week, because we need that as a foundation for what we're looking at this week. First, we saw from Scripture that life is a gift from God, physical life and spiritual life. If you are alive today, and I take it you are, That's a gift of God. That is, in fact, a conscious decision on God's part to open your eyes this morning. So all I need to know to know whether God wants me to be alive today is, am I alive today? (laughs) If I am, it's because God specifically wants me alive for a specific purpose. And that purpose is not a matter of guesswork. If I'm outside of Christ, then his command to me is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. If I've repented and believed in the Lord Jesus, then that life is a gift from God. Spiritual life is a gift from God. It's God who makes us alive. It's the Holy Spirit who gives new birth. We don't do it ourselves. We don't get God to do it to us. Our faith and our repentance are responses to the gift and the work of God. It's a sovereign gift of God's sovereign grace. So if I'm alive at all physically, it's a gift from God. If I'm spiritually alive, I'm a Christian, then that's a gift from God. And letter B, God's gifts oblige us. He gives us gifts to a specific purpose for a specific use. We saw that at great length last week. I hope it was uh, persuasive and convincing and memorable to everybody. Uh, I'll cite another scripture that we didn't look at last week to make the point. Romans 12, 1. Romans 12.1, after 11 chapters of opening the gospel of Christ, showing why we need it because we are so lost in sin and without hope, utterly without hope and under the wrath of God, utterly unable to help or save ourselves. But God sent Jesus Christ to atone for the sins of his people. And by faith alone, through grace alone, as a result of God's predestining, electing love alone, we know God's love in Christ. 
And so he paints this all out in the first 11 chapters in technicolor, and then says, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God. These mercies I've opened up for the last 11 chapters. In view of those mercies, he says, I urge you. Exhort means I urge you to action. What action? To present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, or better, it would be your reasonable, your rational service of worship. So it is simply in view of God's mercy, he calls us to give our bodies a living sacrifice. That is to say, every day we're alive to present our bodies to God for the service of God. So life is a gift from God, God's gift oblige, and let her see our obligations are, as we saw, comprehensive. Jesus was asked, what's the great commandment? And in Matthew 22, 36 and 37, he said, I'll tell you what the great commandment is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And then the second is love your neighbor. That also ties into what we'll be looking at today. Love God with our everything that leaves nothing left over. That is a comprehensive call. And secondly, they encompass our all. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul told us, that our body's a sanctuary, a holy place of the Holy Spirit. He says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just a general hypothetical death for everybody that didn't actually do anything unless we made it do something. He actually died for God's elect. And by that death, he actually bought them, Paul says. He actually made them his. He atoned for all their sins. He settled all their debts before God. He secured reconciliation to God. And he made them, I should say, made us his. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is so because Jesus bought us. And having bought us, he owns us outright. We're entirely his. And Paul says, therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, I'll go ahead and get ahead of myself a little bit. He doesn't say glorify God in your body as long as you're older than 20, does he? Or glorify God in your body as long as you're done raising children? Or glorify God in your body until you retire? Or until you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s? Well, it depends. How long am I bought with a price? Eternally. Therefore, I'm eternally obligated to glorify him in my body. We're not even at that part yet, but we're at that part. <laughs> now let's back up to where we are in the outline. Number two. So our obligations are comprehensive. They're also inclusive of every stage of life. Number two, they're inclusive of every stage of life. I-N-C-L-U-S-I-V-E. You say, I know how to spell that word. Yeah, but many of the kids fill in the outlines too, and I want to make it easy for everybody. Inclusive of every stage of life. Flip side of that coin is they are exclusive of no stage of life, but they're inclusive of every stage of life, beginning with earliest days. Letter A, from earliest days. What's that Exodus verse going to be? Exodus what, 12? Exodus twenty twelve, of course, one that hopefully we all know. It's the first social commandment of the Ten Commandments. The first four are all about God, but number five is what? Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which Yahweh your God gives you. Now, kids, I'm talking to you. You're three years old, five years old, seven years old. I have a simple question I know any kid can answer. When do you start having a father and mother? As soon as you start existing. As soon as you're conceived. So God has a command for you. When does that command start being obligatory? When does that command start being something you have to do? <laughs> if I'm going to be clear, I'd better be clear. When does that command start being something that matters to you? As soon as you have a mother and father. And as long as you have a mother and father. Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged. So here's something, an, an obligation God puts on little kids. So can a kid think, well, I'm obligated to start serving God as soon as I'm old enough to, to get out of school, as soon as I'm old enough to drive, 
As soon as I'm old enough to have... No, it's as soon as you're old enough to have a father and mother. Yes, God calls us. God's call is on us from our earliest days. Ecclesiastes 12.1 puts it another way. Ecclesiastes 12.1. Solomon says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days happen and the years draw near in which you say, I have no delight in them. That's still talking to you, kids, young ones. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. That is, think about God. Learn about God. Know God from your earliest days so that when you get to be old like me, you're not just starting and saying, oh boy, I've got a whole life to make up for. What is this God thing I'm supposed to care about? No, when you get to my age, you'll have been knowing God for your whole life. It will be the life you lived. You lived the life knowing God. That's what the Word of God says. Remember Him in the days of your youth, so that when you get to older age, you already have a walk with God that you've been walking with and walking in in all your life. Here's another one I expect most people know, in this church anyway. Psalm 119, verse 11. I'm still talking to the, I'm talking to everybody, but I'm talking to the kids. And I mean verse 9, I'm sorry. Psalm 119, verse 9. Though 11 is also good. But verse 9 asks the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. What's the question? How can a young man, a 5-year-old, 10-year-old, 15-year-old, 20-year-old, how can that person keep his way pure? Well, now the first thing that tells us is that God wants a young person to keep his way pure. That it matters to God how a young person lives. And sometimes we think it doesn't count until you reach a certain age. Not true. Our obligation to God starts with the moment of our existence, of our life. This is what I've been trying to show from the Word. So how does a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to God's Word. So that means, young friend, 5, 10, 15 years old, somewhere in there, you need to be learning the Word of God. Because that's the only way you're going to keep your way pure. God has His eye on you. And what you do matters. Like, do you honor your father and mother? Do you remember your Creator? Do you look to your life and learn what God's Word says about your life now? Not when you're older. Now. Keep His way. Now, there's a thought I've heard from some people who should know better, but, but apparently don't, who say that young kids, they need to sow their, their wild oats and get it out of their systems. Well, depends on what you mean by that, of course, but if by that you mean they need to sin, well, that's not what God says. What God says they need to do is keep their way pure according to His Word. That's God's obligation to the young folks here. Remember your Creator Keep your way pure according to His Word. And of course, you probably know the book of Proverbs is just chock full of that. I mean, we could read most of the ten cha- first ten chapters and, and, and get into that. Proverbs 1.8 says, for instance, the father speaking to his son, Hear, my son, your father's discipline, and do not abandon your mother's instruction. Hear your father's discipline. Do not abandon your mother's instruction. He's talking to this child while he's still in the house. And what's his obligation? What's that child's obligation? Honor his father and mother. What does that mean? Learn everything they have to teach him about the ways of God. How long does that last? It lasts at least as long as he's under their roof. You know, 5, 10, 25, doesn't matter. Your father and mother are your father and mother. And God's obligation on them is to teach you. But your obligation is to learn from them. To learn and remember what they teach you. Not make it difficult, not ignore it, not let it go in one ear out the other, but let it go in one ear and right on your heart to keep and take with you and live from. That's the obligation God puts on you. Turn to 2 Timothy 3. With me, please. So 2 Timothy 3. Timothy's this young apprentice that Paul has been teaching through uh, best kind of seminary education, which is a, an apprentice and a teacher, and Paul's the teacher in this case. Now, Timothy's, Timothy's me. T- Timothy is not an apostle. He's just a pastor. He's got no special gift, no special abilities. He doesn't hear where God's speaking in his ear like an apostle or a prophet would. And, and Paul's about to die. 
And he's headed for tough times. Look at 1 Timothy, sorry, 2 Timothy 3.1. But know this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. These are the times he's going to be living in, Timothy. And those will be filled with, with all sorts of departures from God and with false believers and false teaching. People who, verse 5, hold to a form of godliness but have denied the power. And false teachers on the left and on the right. What's Timothy supposed to do? How is he supposed to, how's a person like me supposed to hold steady in, a, in days like this? Special spiritual gifts? No. Special spiritual powers? No. Special spiritual methods? No. Look down at verse 14. And verse 15 is our target, but start with 14. But you continue in the things you learned and became convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them. Who did he learn them from? Well, go back to chapter 1, verse 5. Chapter 1, 5, being reminded of the unhypocritical faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm convinced it is in you as well. His grandma was a believer, his mama was a believer, and they taught him. They taught him and Paul taught him. Verse 10, back in chapter 3, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance. So they taught him, Paul taught him, but what was at the center of all that teaching? Now look at verse 15, that from childhood, and that Greek word means since you were a baby, since you were an infant, since you were the age of the young kids here in this, in this building. From childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So from his infancy, G, uh, Timothy learned, in this case it was the Old Testament. The New Testament's in verses 16 and 17, that, but that's being written. <laughs> so he'd been taught the Old Testament and by it he'd been, he'd been led to salvation through faith in Christ. And by it, he'd been given the foundation that would keep him steady in these difficult, dangerous times of sin and, and departure and false teaching and danger. Because he had learned the Scripture, like I'm telling you too, young children, from his father and mother. From, not in his case, not his father. His father is not said to be a believer, but his mother was, his grandmother was, and Paul certainly was. He learned these things from an early age, and that set him up for his life of godly service. So, from earliest years, letter B, to sunset years. To sunset years. Now here, I'm talking to the... Um, other, other group of people here. Yeah, it, it was something I should have changed and meant to change and didn't. I'm sorry. Letter B is supposed to say sunset years. I'm sorry. I only partly changed that. So cross out the other and write in sunset years. And I apologize. So from earliest days to sunset years. Uh, I'll look at two verses. I'll read to you one, but I'd like to look at one with you. I'm going to read to you Psalm 71:18, an anonymous psalm. The psalmist says, And even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your might to all who are to come. Don't forsake me in my old age that I might declare your power and might to the younger generation. So he's asking God to be with him in his sunset years, but not just with him so he can sit around waiting to die, using up time and space, but so that he can declare God's truth to younger people. And now look at Psalm 92 with me. And we're actually going to look at verses 12 through 15, not just 14, but Psalm 92, 12 through 15. And here we read Psalm 92, 12. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of Yahweh. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. Still yield fruit in old age. They shall be rich and fresh to declare that Yahweh is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. 
So yes, we've seen the obligation of God in our earliest days. Now we see it in our last days, our sunset days, that we don't find in Scripture a line at which God says, fine, now you're out of my service. Just uh, wait around and you'll eventually die, and and then I'll, I'll tell you what I want next. No. Old days are to be, what does he say? He says, still yield fruit in old age. What do we read Paul saying? He said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ would be much better. But what's the alternative? To stay in the flesh and what? Wait around mooning and waiting for Christ to come? Waiting to die? What does he say? Bear fruit. Fruitful service. I will stay in the flesh and bear fruit. And then he'll go to Christ with some trophies for him. And not, and not the shame of, of an empty life. So, from earliest days to sunset years, and this includes all ages, letter C, includes all ages. Turn to Titus chapter 2 with me, please. And we're more going to look at it than study it, but it has a very important point to us. So, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, all three pastoral epistles. So, First, here's a word to me. Verse 1 tells you why I'm doing what I'm doing. Why am I doing what I'm doing right now? This, right now, this sermon. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That's exactly what I'm trying to do right now. And to whom am I to speak? Well, look at what Paul says. Verse 2, older men. So there's a special message to older men in the congregation. Older men are a concern to God in the congregation. And and what is the concern? Uh, I, the pastor, is to say to be temperate, to be dignified, to be sensible, to be sound in faith. Not going off after crazy ideas and teaching and, and just waste of time rabbit trails. Sound in faith, in love. Now, is love something you do alone in a batting cage, on the golf course, on the lake, at home watching TV. Love is something that is done in relationship. Love assumes relationship. You can't love in isolation. It's like uh, those are opposite concepts. Love gives, love does, love connects, love serves. In love, older men, in perseverance, and that word means endurance. Here's a word for older women too. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. So not, not just reading the latest magazine and trashy gossip or, or any other thing you might think of that, that is just a, a, simply, a simply self-related activity, but teaching what is good. Paul says, teaching what is good, good teachers, so that they may instruct the young women in sensibility. Well, now, again, there's relationships. There's the older women in the church. Oh, meaning their daughters, right? No, sure. But obviously, I mean, that goes without saying. This means making relationships with people you're not related to except in Christ. Teach the younger women to insensibility to love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be slandered. Wow, there's, there's, there's this heartbeat about all this. If we don't do this, if we don't take this word to heart, then God's word is slandered. We, we, we're seen living lives just like the world, and the world looks at us and says, I don't see any great difference between what you're living for and what people outside of the church you're living for. And then likewise, urge younger, younger men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself, Titus himself apparently being a younger man, to be a model of good works with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in word, which is irreproachable. So you see, here is a word to every age group in the congregation, older, younger, men, women. That's the point. All are taken in All are under the obligations of God to live with this gift of life that he gives us in his service while we have this gift of life. But here's an additional note. Turn at chapter 3, verse 8. Now, this is just sort of uh, an addendum that that serves to heighten what I just showed you. He says in chapter 3, verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. 
That's what I'm trying to do right now. I want you to speak confidently so that those who've believed God, well, that's you, will be intent to, what's the next word? Lead in good works. These things are good and profitable for men. Now, what does it mean to lead in good works? I'll say it to you very simply. It means to do it before you're told to. It means to look for opportunities to do these things. Now, I've had the occasion that I've asked people about whether they're reaching out to people, whether they're learning people's names, and talk, and invariably they're kind of surprised to be asked. Like, well, we haven't looked at these things from Scripture? But see, I'm, I'm making it personal. I, I'm bringing it home when I ask personally. Well, would it be very different if I asked each of you after this sermon, what, it, what are you doing with what we've been studying? We're going to be very specific before this sermon's over if, if the Lord tarries and I make it to the end. We all make it to the end. If I asked you personally what you're doing, well, that would be kind of shocking, wouldn't it? Well, see, but what this verse says is don't wait for that. Do it because God says it. Do it because you see it in Scripture. That's the spirit that, that sees Jesus teaching something, doesn't need someone to come up and tell me, oh, by the way, that really does mean you, and takes it to the heart and does these things. Why? Well, because the Lord is worth it. Because his glory is worth it. Because he's worth it to us. So it includes all ages. And letter D, it includes every walk of life. W-A-L-K, every walk of life. Now, I'm really going to just brush through this, chapter 3, 18 through 22 and 4, 1. I'm really just going to brush this. I have a, one point to make from it. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives. Verse 20, children, love your parents. Obey your parents. Verse 21, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Verse 22, slaves, obey your masters. Chapter 4, verse 1, masters, be right and fair to your slaves. What's my point? Everybody. Husband, wife, parents, children, slaves, masters. In other words, employers, employees. All walks of life, God has a will for you. God has a way for you to serve him while you're alive. And this applies to each of us in every walk of life. And in fact, letter E, all of life. All of life. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10.31 with me, please. It's just a really good verse simply to know. Have with you in your heart. First Corinthians 10.31 Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay, now let's see if we've been listening to Scripture. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Starting when? At conception, ending when? When I go to the Lord, one of the two ways that that could happen. But while I'm alive, while I'm here to read this verse and hear it, do all to the glory of God. And what does that mean? Having Him at the center, thinking of Him, remembering Him, thinking of His Word, seeing and learning how His Word applies, seeking to apply His Word, seeking to be of use to Him, to have a fruitful life that serves Him in the ways He says He wants to be served, which primarily is just two. Primarily, it's, it's knowing Him better and showing love for His children. I said that carefully. Showing love. Not simply feeling fondly towards, but showing love to His children. This is what He says over and over in a dozen different ways. A dozen, dozen different ways. So, that's 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and the next is just where we just were, Colossians 3, 17. Colossians 3, 17 actually comes just before the section that we just read. We just read uh, uh, commands to husbands, wives, parents, masters, slaves, but in Colossians 3, 18, uh, 17, sorry. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then he gives all of these commands. In fact, you know what? If you haven't turned there, do turn there. Something just leapt to my mind that is worth adding. So Colossians 3.17 is what we're looking at. 
So I remind you that just a moment ago, we looked at the following verses to husbands, wives, masters, slaves. But now back up to verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is addressed to a church, not just individuals. So every person in the church, why that's all of you, because we're in a church right now. We're assembled as a church. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking with gra- singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. Well, we could even go two verses before to verse 14. Above all things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful that that peace is the peace within a fellowship, within a church. So all of this is what it means to live to the glory of God. To be a God-honoring father, mother, husband, wife, child, employee, employer. To worship Him and reach out to others in the church I'm a member of. And, and strive for peace in the church I'm a member of. See, all, all of this, all of this is what it means to live to the glory of God. So let's, let's stop and summarize a little bit at this point. Just a brief pause to summarize. We've seen that God's obligations on us are inclusive of every stage of life from early days to sunset days, including all ages and every walk of life. In fact, all of life, all departments of my life, while I live, I live to the glory of God. But I want to add one more thing. Number three, it is of utmost urgency. Utmost urgency. And what's that verse in Matthew? That passage in Matthew, we haven't gotten there yet. It's Matthew 25, 13 through 30. Matthew 25, 13 through 30. We're not going to go there right now. I just remind you that most Christians know this. It's the parable of the talents. The master is going on a journey and gives, and a talent is an enormous amount of money. It gives five to one, two to another, one to another. And the, the one who has five makes five more. The one who has two makes two more. The one who has one, well, he doesn't. He's much smarter than the other two because he knows that his master is very harsh and, and very, uh, very scrupulous and merciless. And so what he does, smarter than the rest of them, he digs a hole and hides it in the ground. So when his master comes back, he has his talent, and he gives him his talent back. Here you go. Here's what you gave me. I'm just giving it back straight to you. And how does his master uh, respond to this? Does he commend him for his, his wisdom and his shrewdness and his being so much more clever than the others who went out and used the talents and did something with them and multiplied them? No. Verse 24 says, uh, he says, Master, you're a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid it, and here it is back. Verse 26, but his master answered and said to him, You wicked lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. You should have at least put in a bank to gain interest, but you didn't even do that. And this person is presented as coming to a miserable end. But you see, he got the talent and he he thought his master had really given him something to think about. And it was an interesting thing that he had a talent. It was remarkable that he had a talent. He did give some thought to it. He enough thought to go and hide it and do nothing with it. And so you hear a Bible sermon challenging you to action, and you come out saying, I got a lot to think about. Okay, thinking's good if it leads to doing. If it leads to doing. There's a lot of urgency. There's a lot of urgency to responding to the Word of God, to being not just a hearer of the Word of God, but a doer. Well, we'll look at that more uh, as we continue. So let's continue. Let's do some reflections and applications. We've looked at a lot of Scripture last week in this. So now let's think about it some more together. First letter A, we've got points to ponder. P-O-N-D-E-R. Points to ponder. Think about seriously. And the first point to ponder, drawing from all these Scriptures, is if I'm alive, I have a job to do right now. Isn't that a fair deduction from all the verses we've looked at? If I'm alive, I have a job to do right now. 
And we've seen that that is every age, every stage of life, every circumstance. If I'm alive, I have a job to do right now. And here's something else I want to add to that, very important. You and I don't get to say when we're done. If we're alive, we have a job to do right now. We start when God says to start at birth, and we're, de- we're, we're, we're done when God says we're, I mean, sorry, we're, we start when God says we should start, which is at birth, as we've seen, and we're done when God says we're done. And when's that? When he takes us to himself through death, or he comes to us by rapture. And those are the only two ways. He says when we're done. He says when we're done. Any other plan is folly, wicked, a sin. As long as I'm alive, I have a job to do right now. Now, I need to to consider something over the years I've seen I need to. I need to say, did, did I hear someone hear me say this, but think in his heart, but I'm retired. Says who? Who says you're retired? Yes, perhaps you've stepped away from the career that you had, but who says you're retired? What is this idea of retirement? What, which verse does that come from? I'll tell you what verse. It comes from the book of nothing, chapter zero, verse zero. That is nowhere in the Bible. The, the concept of retirement from fruitfully serving God with everything I've got as long as I'm alive comes nowhere in the Bible. It's not learned from the Bible. Retirement is a dangerous and possibly wicked concept. Like I say, retiring from my, my career, my job that I'd had for however many years, okay. But from seeking and serving God, never. Never. The idea that I hit a certain age and then I get permission to revert to a second childhood. You know, when somebody's five and all he does is watch TV and play games, you say, he's five. (laughs) Although even then there should be chores and instruction and so forth. But then to think that when I hit 65, now it's time for just games and watching TV. What is that? That's dehumanizing and unbiblical. It makes people, and this is... uh, there's a whole sermon here, but, 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 but this is something that you see being done around the world. The idea that, okay, we've already made children expendable. If they're inconvenient or imperfect, kill them. It's a right. It's a sacred right. Kill them. But more and more, if they're older and not productive, it's their duty to take themselves out. Do you see that? It's coming. It's coming to a formerly free nation very near you. And, and this partly prepares the way for that. The idea that you, 60, you, you hit 65 and now, you know, it's childhood all over again. You're, you're, you have nothing essential to do. And God help us, I see Christians even apparently having this idea that, that I'm in my second childhood now. And that idea is wicked and ungodly and it needs to be repented of. Why? Because as long as I'm alive, I have a job to do right now from God. And that gives my life meaning and purpose. It actually is great for your health, but it's, it's for the glory of God. It's what God made us for. Jonathan Edwards, one of America's greatest theologians, a leader in the, the Great Awakening, when he was 19, he wrote, I think, 71 resolutions. He started writing. Here's revolu- resolution number five and number six. He resolved, and he, he lived by this, never to lose one moment of time, but to make the most of it in the most profitable way I possibly can. And then on the heels of that resolution six, resolved to live with all my might as long as I do live. Now understand, let me say it again, make sure you all heard it, to live with all my might as long as I do live. Now understand, he wasn't writing a beer commercial. He, he didn't mean having fun and having a second childhood. He meant to live to the glory of God for all he was worth as long as he did live. And he did, in fact, live that way. So first, if I'm alive, I have a job to do right now. Secondly, I need to serve God with my all in this life. Number two, I need to serve God with my all in this life. Ecclesiastes 9.10. I'll just read it to you, but it's a good one. 
You know, not like all those bad Bible verses. It's just so funny when I hear myself saying that. But this is a good one. (laughs) Ecclesiastes 9.10, good like every word from God. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no working or explaining or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. This is our only opportunity to serve God on a battlefield. This is our only opportunity. What did you do do during the war? This is the war. This is our only opportunity we know of ever to serve in a war, ever to walk by faith, ever to live by faith and win trophies for the Lord by faith. So Solomon says, do what you do with all you've got. Have a plan that involves bearing fruit for God the way God says he wants you to bear fruit. And do that with everything you've got. Give it all you've got. Starting when? Conception. Ending when? When death or the rapture. That's right. In other words, all my life. In this life. Number three. I'm through when God says I'm through. And not a second before. I'm through when God says I'm through and not a second before. If I quit before God says I'm done, that is sin. Our motto should be serve till you drop. And you say, well, then I'd like to know, um, how can I tell whether whether God says I'm through or not? I can answer that question. Are you here to ask the question? Well, then the answer is God has not said you're through. I, I, I... I'll say this from as many angles as I can. As long as we're alive, we're to serve God with everything we've got. And if you're hearing me say that, you're alive. And it applies. And I I can't decide, oh, well, I'm done. I sure may feel like saying that, but that's not my call. Go back to what we were talking about last week. That's a playing God thing. That's a God-level decision. God, get, I tell you, I'll tell you, I've got to times where I thought I was done. And all I can tell you is, apparently not. Because here I am. I'm apparently not done. And I've taken to trying to do consciously that. I wake up in the morning and I say, evidently, there's still more for me to do. I encourage you to do the same thing. Evidently, your eyes open in the morning. Remember, tens of thousands of people's eyes didn't open. Your eyes open in the morning, evidently God's got something for you to do. Search the Word to find out what that is and do it. So those are points to ponder. And then finally, here's where the sermon gets um, confrontive. Buckle up. Points to be poked with. (laughs) So we just had points to ponder. Now we've got points to be poked with. And I, I want to start by asking a question. What have I done? I want you to ask yourself this. What have I done with what I've learned this past year at Copperfield Bible Church? James 1.22. The Word of God says, But become doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Now you know that first part, but did you notice the last part? If I hear the Word of God and don't do it, what am I doing? I'm fooling myself. How am I fooling myself? I think I've done something holy just by hearing God's word. If I even did that, if I wasn't, you know, playing games or whatever. Uh, or or my, I, I struggle with attention wandering, you know. Uh, but I've heard God's word, so I feel like, well, that's an accomplishment then. That's a holy thing to do. And James says, well, if all you do is hear and you don't act, you are fooling yourself. You are deluding yourself, James says. Be doers of the word. And this, dear friends, is why I'm being so intense with you about this. It's a pastoral thing to do. I, I, I like very much the way my, my friend Ligon Duncan says this. He's a, he's a theologian and a seminary um, chancellor, I think is his title right now. But l- listen to what Ligon says. This is really good and really important. He says, the truth will go bad on you. The truth will go bad on you unless you turn it into prayer. Turn it into practice, unless it is changing the way you think and relate to God. 
unless it is changing the way you think and relate to God, the way you think of yourself, the way that you show the love of God to your brothers and sisters in Christ, the truth will go bad on you if you don't do something with it. And the, the picture is like food that you've let sit in the fridge too long that now is a different color and smells bad. He says the truth will do that if all you do is hear it. And that's the danger. That's, that's your danger. That's our danger in a church like this where you get taught a lot of Bible through the year, but what do you do with it? Well, if we get taught it and we don't hear it, but we don't put it into actions, it'll go bad on us. So what are some of the practical things we've learned in just the last year? Well, we've learned how important it is to be in our Bibles deeply, regularly. Well, first of all, you say, well, I've missed a lot of those sermons. Okay, did you go listen to them then? If you can get into your email, you can listen to all of our sermons. It's just that simple. So if you missed a sermon, did you, did you get that sermon? Okay, well, how did you grow in Scripture? How did your grasp of Scripture grow deeply? Let's get over the list first. Just, just the list. We learn the importance of being in the Bible and having the Bible in us deeply. We learn how important it is to be an involved member of a faithful local church. That's Matthew 18. Imagine the irony of, of thinking, boy, you took a long time to get through Matthew 18, and yet not showing that I learned from Matthew 18 the importance of having relationships with others and loving them and serving them and being a member of a church where I'm being watched over. So I guess maybe we didn't go slow enough, you know, if that message didn't get to everybody. But we all learned that message this week. And we, we've seen from Scripture, from that chapter and others again and again, the importance of being a member of a faithful local church. I've got a, a sermon titled, What Do I Have to Do with Christ Church? I preached it some years ago. It's been used by other churches. It's one of our more downloaded sermons. I'm, I'm really grateful for that, that it's been so useful. But in that sermon, I basically take the person who might say, well, I don't see why I have to go to a local church, and the person who says, I don't see why I have to be a member of a church, and I answer that from the Bible in a way that leaves no case. I do my best. That's my aim. And I've never yet had somebody listen to that and say to me, you know, I think I see a better scriptural case for how I can obey God and be more fruitful by not being committed to any congregation, not being under the discipline of any church, not having any elders watching over my soul like the Bible says I need. I found a better way. Let me explain it to you, Pastor. I've never had someone do that. So I assume we're all on the same page about that. We all agree it's important to be a member of a local church. Well, we've seen that. You say, well, I'd never heard that sermon. Oh, well, uh, thanks to our wonderful secretary, we've got it on CD back there, right in the lobby. You say, well, I don't listen to CDs. Okay, we've got it on, on thumb drives back there in the library too, with the outline, You're just right outside the door. You say, well, you know, I don't really have something to plug. Okay, do you have internet access? It's on our webpage. It's on the homepage. You could listen to it there. I think makes a, a biblical case for why church membership and involvement and service are something that the Bible teaches and is important. Not something we've seen this year. We've seen how important it is to actually show love, to actually get out of my selfish little bubble and reach out to people I'm not related to, that aren't my comfort people, to, to, to reach out with a mind to serve and be of use and not of just making myself comfortable. We've seen that over and over and over uh, this year. And so here's some poking questions about those things. Just those things. That's not all we've learned, but that's some of what we've learned. So has your grasp of the Bible grown and deepened? Has it? That's one question. What, what can you explain more deeply from the Bible today that you couldn't at the start of last year? Do you know the books of the Bible? I mean, when I say to, to turn to a, a book of the Bible, and do you not do that because you really don't even know where it is? Well, then I'd say that this this word has not reached your heart quite yet because that certainly is an important thing to be able to do and to find my way around Scripture. What verses have you memorized? We've seen the importance of that and that for our prayer life and using God's Word in our prayer life. So has your grasp and your use of Scripture grown through the last year? And have you grown in love? Do you know the names of most of the people in the building? Let's, let's just make it real easy and not say everybody, just most. Or how about look at, the, look at three rows in front of you. You know all of their names, assuming they've all been here as long as you have? If not, how are you growing in love? What have you done 
with all the verses we've seen from Scripture calling us to show love and care and watch, uh, watchman-like care over the others in our church. You don't don't have to know the name of everybody in the world. Just this church, it's not that big of a church. So have you grown? Have you learned? Every week do you learn some names? You say, well, that's not easy for me. I understand. It's actually not easy for me or not. Don't tell anybody. It's not easy for me either. Don't, Don't share that. But can you say to somebody, hi, how are you doing? Is there anything I can pray for? And then, then remember what they say. Can you do that? Of course you can do that. You talk to people in stores all the time. You talk to people all the time. Do we use those same skills to show love within our church? Well, that's just doing what we've been taught. But, you know, I, I've never had anybody on the way out say to me, you know, I totally disagree about the importance of loving people. I've got no use for that. I don't think that's biblical at all. Never had that happen. So I assume we all agree that the Bible teaches that. Are we doing it, or is that truth going bad on us? See, that's a thing to do with this life God has given. That's a part of showing fruit and having a fruitful life in uh, this life. Reaching out to people we're not related in, not related to, not in our, our clique, maybe never talked to before, but reaching out in love. At the start of the year, maybe you weren't a church member. Are you now? We all agree that it's important to be a church member. Have you become a church member? Are you in the process of becoming a church member? Have you taken the packet, started filling it out? Well, then don't let that truth go bad. That's another just it's a simple, basic application of things we've been studying and seeing together from Scripture. So, uh, and what service are you involved in in CBC? I, I, don't, I don't know what services there are. I know, I know some people who would cry if they heard you say that. But if you're a man, you don't know of ways to serve, well, talk to Chad. I think he might help you out. If you're a woman, you don't know ways to serve, you could talk to my wife. You could talk to Amy. Uh, sadly, my wife is, is, is sick. She's feeling pretty bad. She's not here right today. But you could talk to my wife. They could help you out. There, there are ways to serve that would fit uh, your ability. It, it's just a matter of the willingness. So those are some pokey questions. I could ask more. But instead, let me say, uh, did ask you another and just ask you, did that, did that touch a nerve? Did any of that touch a nerve? Did any of you say, well, that, yeah, that one's for me. That one's got my name on it. So here's my question now. What are you going to do about it before you leave the building? Well, because remember, the thing is today. It's not tomorrow. Wh- whose day is Tomorrow. The devil's day. Thank you. I'm so glad to hear you say that. That's what Spurgeon says. That's right. Tomorrow's the devil's day. The devil is okay with you being and me being a godly Christian tomorrow. He is a-okay with us making plans to serve God tomorrow. That is fantastic. He thinks that's a great plan. In fact, that's the wisest plan. Today is clearly not a good day. Oh, we got to put that roast in the oven or do this or that or the other thing today. Far too busy. And we're not feeling, it wasn't the best sleep. And oh, today's not the day. Tomorrow is, would be the perfect day. And then you know what, it'll, what day it'll be tomorrow? You know how that goes. So what will you do about it before you leave the building? And if not today, then why not? And, and, and then when? Best start today. So here's my pastoral counsel to you. If, my pastoral counsel to you is this. It's very simple. Come to Christ. You say, oh, I didn't know this was an evangelistic sermon. Well, in a way, they all are. But no, but, but that's really, that's my counsel. I mean, if, if the Lord tarries and I'm long in the grave and 10, 15 years after I'm gone, y'all are talking with me in your rocking chairs and somebody says, I wasn't there then. What did Pastor Phillips preach? What was, this, what was the heart of his preaching? Well, really, it was come to Christ. Ah, oh, so he was an evangelist. Well, he evangelized. Well, didn't he talk about politics and, and family and, and uh, living and the details? Oh, yeah, he talked about all that. But what did he say? He said, come to Christ. What, what, was that unbelievers or believers? Yes, yes. Pastor Phillips felt that the most important thing for anybody is to come to Christ. So you say, well, you, uh, you know, you pricked me with what you just asked. That does prick me. In fact, it borderline irritates me. What is it you want me to do? Try harder? Probably. I mean, honestly, in America, this generation, probably. But that's not the first thing I want you to do. I want you to go to Christ. 
If you're convicted and you see, I have not grown in this area, I have not been faithful in this area, I want you to go to Christ. That's what I want you to do most of all. Go to Christ and tell him, I'm sorry I've done this with the life you've given me. I'm sorry I didn't fully realize this, but I have no excuse. Forgive me for that sin. Help me to repent of that sin. Help me to mortify that sin and help me come alive to the life that you've called me to, starting now. So that's what I I say above all. You, You see your heart is too lazy. You see your heart is too selfish, too ruled by fear, too self-involved. Well, then take that heart to Jesus and ask him to warm it. Ask him to free it. Ask him to burn his own image into it and get going on it. Fill out the baptism form, start the church membership, learn names, reach out, read your Bible, whatever the specific is, but get going on it. Go to Jesus and get going on it. And now that's if it touched your heart, but one more thing, what if it didn't touch your heart? What if nothing I said touched your heart? What if everything I said didn't make any difference? You intellectually see it, but you really aren't going to do anything about any of it. Well, here's my question. My question in that case is, what will it take? Because I got to tell you, I, I got nothing more. If the word of God does not come through with power, I got nothing more. I got nothing else. I got nothing extra. And I'm not looking for anything more. I'm not going to go to a, a seminar to teach me how to make people do things. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. If the word of God is not enough to do that, um, that's all I've got. But, but I, would, I just want to tell you, I want to plead with you, if that is your case, that's a bad place to be. That's an awful place to be. You remember that scary, scary chapter, Hebrews chapter 6? where the writer has said, you know, I can't even talk to you about Melchizedek. You are so lazy. You ought to be teaching other people. I still have to explain the ABCs to you. I'm afraid that you aren't even saved. I'm afraid that you've entered into Christian experience and fellowship and and been around the gospel, but it has never gotten a hold of your heart. You remember what he says at the end of that section, Hebrews 6, 7, and 8, for ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it. Rain after rain after rain. And what's that? Hearing the word of God again and again and again. So ground that often, I'm sorry, the ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it was also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is unfit and close to being cursed and its end is to be burned to get the rain of God's word again and again and again and not bear fruit and not bear fruit is a very alarming thing. And so I say, take that heart to Jesus. Take that heart to Jesus. Being able to hear the word of God unmoved is alarming. So after all, isn't Christ worth our all? Isn't he worthy? Isn't he worthy? You know, Pilgrim's Progress is actually in two parts. The first part is Pilgrim. The second part is Christiana, his wife, who takes off after him. Take a brief swallow and tell you something Christiana says. She says, speaking of Jesus, she says, Methinks it makes my heart bleed to think that he should bleed for me. Oh, thou loving one. Oh, thou blessed one, thou deservest to have me. Thou hast bought me. Thou deservest to have me all. Thou hast paid for me 10,000 times more than I am worth. Can't you say amen? My conclusion is just Scripture. I'll read to you Matthew 7, 24 and 25. 24, pardon me, through 27. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the rivers came and the winds blew and fell against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone hearing these words of mine and everyone hearing these words of mine and not doing them may be compared to a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came 
And the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And then Hebrews 3, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this, Your Word, which You tell us is sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank You for it. We've heard it today. I pray that the Holy Spirit will put it to its work in all of our hearts, my hearts and the hearts of my heart and the hearts of all of my beloved here. Those who don't know Christ will see the urgency of repenting and rushing, fleeing to Him. And those who have been not hearing Your Word and taking it to heart, that they'll be humbled to hear Your Word, take it to heart, to Your glory and their own good, their own blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.